Good morning, church. I'm going to ask my wife to come back up here for a minute. We have had the opportunity over the few the last uh, few months to share with you some fun things that are going on in our, in our church building, and um, I wanted to have her just come back up. Um, this last we ended the year. Um, I don't. I, I think that there must be a lot of folks who sell their herd right at the end of the year. Um, you know, get their. Uh, they're, sell their turkeys at Thanksgiving or something because you all you all just turn out and give like crazy in December. So <laughs> thank you for all of that. I want you to know that um, money was given to a lot of things, but over $100,000 was contributed for our building during December. So thank yeah. you. Pat your neighbor on the back because it was probably then. And that's $100,000 we won't be borrowing. And I just want to remind you about that, that anything from here forward as we keep going, we keep chunking away at what we're borrowing against. And that's just amazing. And so far, we have not yet had to borrow. Um, we're, we're kind of looking at next month. We'll probably be trying that in February. Um, we've been cleared for the loans that we need. But thank you so much that we have not yet had to do that. We're halfway through this project. And you've been paying for it out of your pocket. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, you can, you, it's a good deal. It's an amazingly good deal. You've been getting interest on what you've given by not having to pay interest on what we had to borrow. So thank you. Um, I just wanted to also remind you to look outside. Did I tell you what I was most excited about this week? No. What was that? Oh, no. Oh, yes, you no, did. No, it's oh, not so- the roof. Sorry. No, you did. You told me it was the stucco. It's stucco. Now, anyone else get excited about stucco? (laughs) Come on, man. Stucco is awesome. The next step. Yeah, yeah, you know what it, you know what it feels like to me. It does feel like Christmas because every time we drive up or when Walt comes home and he flips out, he flips out his cell phone. He says, have you seen these pictures? Let me show you what they're doing at the church. And, um, the way that I envision it is, you know, those nesting gifts where you get this great big box and then you throw out all the tissue and then inside is another box and it's so exciting. It's another surprise and it's how I feel about the layers of, um, progression yes that are happening across um, the way here and then even when you walk into the foyer now um, this um, our current foyer um, and you're looking through those windows and the anticipation inside of me is oh that's where we're going to be very soon and oh look at that stage is out there it's so very exciting oh tim and i were having a great fun excited being excited about sheetrock and uh (laughs) insulation this week See, this is, see, by not just hanging around down here from a day to day, you just, you're missing all these great little joys that we're experiencing. But sheetrock is going up, insulation's going in, we're wandering around looking at the building and saying, should there, should there be insulation there? Maybe we should talk to somebody about that. <laughs> I would encourage you to read through our newsletter if you haven't already, uh, subscribed to it. There are pictures at the bottom kind of keeping you posted on what's going on. And it's just really a, a, just a fun thing, kind of keeping track of it. Take a look out through the windows if you haven't already done it from foyer to foyer to new building because that's going to get walled off as they take those doors out and soon you won't be able to see through there. So if you, get, if you haven't done so, take a look at it. Um, maybe you can persuade Pastor Tim to give you a hard hat and give you a tour today if you, if you talk real nice to him and make a donation to the building fund. <laughs> uh, Tim took a bunch of our little kids last week. Just juniors or were there other classes? 
Just juniors. It was just fun. They got to go through and just see it and enjoy it and kind of anticipate what's going on. So I just wanted to thank you for your great support. You're always of a great support. Um, you've got to understand a couple of things. Globally, Americans give more than anyone else in the world. Okay? Seventh-day Adventist Christians give more than any other Christian group in the world, and Christians are the highest givers per capita in the United States. Among Seventh-day Adventist Christians, there are five leading conferences, and Northern California is among those five leading conferences. And in Northern California, in in the top 10 churches in our conference of over 200 churches, you are one of the top 10 churches. That makes you per capita one of the best giving groups in the whole world. Isn't that awesome? So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your faithfulness. I know that that is hard earned. And so we try very carefully to make certain that we watch the pennies, watch the nickels, watch the dimes. I mean, Matt, the, the money guy over there, and I go round and round on the spending on a regular basis. I have taken things off of his budget because I thought it was too expensive, and I thought we can buy a sink for less than that after we move in. It was 5000 bucks a piece for three new sinks. And I said, no, 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 we'll find somebody who can do this for 500 instead of 5000 So the, if you go into the ladies' bathroom and there's two, not three sinks, blame me. But that third sink was five grand, And I said, no, no, we can do better than that. And so just in the watching of those things as we go forward, please take a look. Celebrate and enjoy. Um, again, if you get a chance, take Pastor Tim by the hand after the Sabbath school classes today and see if he'll get you through there. Did you have any last comments about that building? I would love to pray and and give a praise and thanksgiving for that. Father God, oh, thank you for blessing this church in so many abundant ways. Thank you for blessing our families. Thank you for the giving that we have the opportunity to do um, in this new building. Thank you for the opportunity that through this new building we may further the kingdom of God. May there be hearts and souls along with ours, Lord, that will walk before Jesus very soon. And we're grateful and we give our praise to you in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please don't stop praying. Um, We lost a few days and uh, they moved back to our, our, our completion date. But pray those days back onto the budget for days. Ms. Bella. Would you be willing to come up and read our passage today? I need a microphone for her. Let's put you over here where they can see you, because back there they'll never see you. Would you tell them your name? Hi, my name is Bella, and I will be reading Luke 15, verse 25 through 32. I'm going to put that a little closer. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. He returned home. He heard mute. He heard music and dancing in the house. He heard, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and, you, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And and in 
and in all that time you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bella. Again, I want to remind you, if you would like to uh, read at the beginning of our service, you are welcome to talk to me about that, and I will uh, make that happen. <clears throat> Last week, we left the father and the big brother out waiting to hear the, the brother's answer about coming in. The father was begging him, pleading with him to come into the celebration because his younger brother had returned. His younger brother was dead and he was now alive. He was lost and now he was found. And the father's out there with the, young, with the older brother saying, come on, come in. It's great. It'll be fun. You should join us. It's awesome. Trying to get him to come in. And he won't come. And that's where he stood. And I reminded you that the church, Grace Point Church, that place where God's grace collides with our needs, Grace Point Church is a band of people out on the road looking for the father's kids and trying to get them to come home. Inviting them to the party. Remember that you're inviting them to the party. When you're talking to your friend about coming, when you're talking to your friend about life and church and what it means to follow Jesus, remember, you're not inviting them to a funeral. You're inviting them to a party. This is a joyous thing we get to do. We just stood here together and sang, You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. We get to celebrate that week after week. It's a joy. It's a benefit. It's a blessing. It's a party they're being invited to. And when, the, when you get to heaven, when you walk, finally walk through those pearly gates hand in hand with your neighbor, the, the, your work associate, your kids, your family, when you walk through those gates, you walk in. Remember, one of the first things that gets done in that, in that return of the family is a giant celebration around God's table. We are inviting people to take part in the blessings of God. We live on a planet that's barely getting a drip of His blessings day by day. And we joyously embrace those things. Can you imagine what it's like when He turns on the faucet? And there stands the Father outside inviting His Son. As I'm encouraging you and challenging you to be part of those who invite, I want to remind you of what we're talking about. And so I'm going to just go over a few things quickly. It's beginning of the year. You know, you've been away on Christmas vacation, and so we want to remind you back to school about what you're talking about. Review. Remember, your teacher always did this in January when you came back from Christmas vacation. She reviewed everything from about October because your brain had checked out from October to January. And so we're going to go back over and review just a little bit, some defining truth. You are saved by grace through faith because of the love of God. 
right? You are saved. And so is anyone you're calling to out there on the road. Saved by grace through faith because of God's love. He loves you. He wants you home. He wants to see his children in the kingdom. He wants to see you redeemed. He wants to see you safely home. He wants to see you around that table. He wants to see you with that smile on your face just because he loves you. You are saved by grace through faith. And that, not of yourselves, is a gift of God. Gifts are how free? Completely free. 100% free. If they're not free, they stop being a gift. Because you trust Him. That's it. You accept the gift of His grace because you trust Him. Number two. Oh, sorry. These are going to all step in. I didn't realize they would do that. Defining truth number two. Obedience is the means to and the measure of faith. Obedience is not the opportunity or the process by which you are saved. Obedience is the means to and the measure of faith. Get it? Again, I keep telling you that I keep trying to explain this to you this way. So you're standing over here and God says, I'd like you to jump over there. And you say, oh God, that's too far for me. I'm an old guy. I can hurt myself. And he says, no, 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 you can do it. I'll be with you. Go ahead. Abraham, I know you're a hundred years old, but your wife's going to have a baby. You know what Abraham did when that happened? He laughed. Then he cried because he realized he was going to be up at two o'clock in the morning feeding a baby. When, when his wife, Sarah, heard, who is 90 years old, that she was going to have a baby, you know what she said? She laughed. You know why? Because this is impossible. The Bible says with God, nothing is impossible. Faith is simply that moment when I say, okay, God, you want me over there? I'm over here. I don't think I can make it. But because you say I can, and because you say you want me to do it, I'll do it. Now, that was a pretty easy one. But faith doesn't have to be enormous. It just has to be in agreement with you and God's will. It's just trusting God that he knows what he's talking about. Trusting God that he has the authority, the authority to take care of you, your family, your kids, your friends, whomever. It's simply you and I saying, I will trust you. I will trust you. I believe you. I will trust you. So number three, faith or trust is increased by knowledge. So you want to learn how to trust God more. Keep more. Keep trying him out. Keep trying him out. Keep experiencing these things. Keep listening to and talking to other people who might actually know something about God. As you keep doing that, your faith and your trust begins to grow and ugh, you might try something crazy. You might just say, okay, God, here I go. I don't know that I can make that, but here I go. And now I'm going to be standing in front of the church. That's Kind of weird. <laughs> but okay. I will trust you. Because I believe you. And when you experience this, your knowledge grows, right? You jump a little bit and you grow and say, hey, that was good. That worked. And then you jump the next thing and God says, see, I told you. And you go, yeah, that was cool. And standing in front of all those people wasn't so terribly frightening. Really? (laughs) And as your knowledge and experience with God grows, your faith in God, your trust grows. One of the reasons you read the scripture is because you get to see how other people expressed faith. 
you get to see what happened when other people trusted God. When this hundred-year-old guy said, okay, whatever, you get to see the results of what God did. You get to see the mistakes they made and the fact that God still held up his side of the promise, still held up his side of the covenant. You get to see the responsibility that God takes for the success of his children. And your faith and your trust in God grows. Read the scriptures. Talk to people who are farther along the walk than you are. Try it when God says jump. Your, your question, according to my parents at that point, is how high? Faith in God grows with experience, grows with knowledge, just like faith in your friends grows with knowledge and experience. The people who are trustworthy, you trust more as you trust. If you refuse to trust, it never grows. Obedience is simply the experiential side of gaining trust. So, you're saved by grace through faith. Obedience is the means to and the measure of faith, not the process of salvation. Faith or trust is increased by experience and knowledge. And Jesus is the express image of God in human flesh. You can't separate Jesus and God. They are one. So when you're reading through the Old Testament experiences and you're reading about God in the Old Testament, you can't separate Jesus and God. You can't say, I like the New Testament church, but I don't like the Old Testament church. I like the New Testament God, but I don't like the Old Testament God. They are one and the same. And so it is us to us, up to us. My theology teacher said I was not allowed to read Jesus into the Old Testament. I'm telling you, you are allowed to and called to. Read Jesus into the Old Testament because it is through that lens that you begin to understand what's going on and you begin to take opportunity to have faith in that God too. A lot of you are reading along with us. A lot of you are reading through the Old Testament. You're in Genesis now. You're about halfway, two-thirds of the way through Genesis. You're kind of looking at those stories. You know what Genesis is telling you right now? God loves even dumb people. Is it true? That you've been reading it. People do lots of things, make a lot of mistakes, and he and and I see myself more in that than in their behaviors that turn out perfectly. I see myself more in their mistakes than in their goodness. And I think that's why it's there. Because I get to recognize God is in this relationship no matter what. Jesus and God are the same. And lastly, do you recognize that thing? Let me tell you about Leatherby's ice cream parlor. Those of you who are wondering why those people laughed, it's because I talk about this occasionally, fairly occasionally. If you have yet to be at Leatherby's ice cream parlor... That is your mistake in life. And you should try and get there because that is an ordinary Sunday. It's huge. In fact, it's abundant. It's more than expected. 
When a newbie goes to Leatherby's and they bring them the Sunday, they ordered, oh, I, what's your regular Sunday? Okay, I'll take that. And this shows up. You always want to look for the newbies in the place when you're there because their eyes get really big, their mouth drops open, and they usually turn to the person next to them and ask for help. When I was there, I, I, when I was there with my brother-in-law years and years and years ago, he looked on the menu and there's something in there called Phil's di- dish of ice cream. He didn't read carefully what it said under Phil's dish of ice cream. Phil's dish is 16 scoops that are that big. So the waiter looked at us, looked at him, said, this is your first time here, huh? And then looked at us and said, you should have told him. He said, that's 16 scoops of ice cream. He goes, oh, well, then I don't want that. I just want a dish of ice cream. I said, we'll get you a junior scoop. <laughs> they put a plate under it because there's so much there the cup can't hold it. You see, that's abundance. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and not just get along life, not just scrape and buy life. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly to get more out of life than you expected to get out of life. You see, this whole business of following God isn't supposed to be a drag. It's supposed to be more than you expect to get out of life. It's supposed to be an overflow of an experience that blows your mind. It's supposed to be that. It's supposed to be fun and abundant and a little overwhelming. And you're supposed to sit back at the end of your life looking back and taking stock in what has happened and going... I have lived a good life. I have been blessed by a good God. I must be His favorite. This church is founded on these principles, on these ideas. This is what we're talking about when we say grace point. When we say grace is the point. We have a gracious God who loves us and wants to pour out abundant blessings on us. He wants to draw us into a relationship where we trust Him and trust Him and trust Him more. He's covering us by His grace. While we figure this out, His grace is not going away. And so, if we, like Abraham, halfway through the journey towards a yes, find ourselves trying to make our own answer to His question, He still ends up blessing our child. And at the end of Abraham's life, when Ishmael is separating from Abraham, he said, don't worry, Abraham, I will bless your son Ishmael as well. And from him will come a great nation. And you notice he will, he will be the father of 12 princes. God is blessing and watching out for his children throughout their life. Ups and downs. He doesn't throw you out of the family because you make a mistake. He pulls over next to you like Peter bubbling under the water in the Sea of Galilee. Takes you by the hand, lifts you back up and says, what were you thinking, man? Let's go. Let's keep going. You are saved by grace because of the gift of God and his love for you. And he wants you to get home.
God is not trying to keep you out of heaven. He's trying to get you in. So we find ourselves back in Luke 15. And that God, that Father is out on the road. The audience for the story is tax collectors and sinners are gathered around with Jesus. It's the, it's the, it's the, the celebration that takes place most of the time in December where the, the Hanukkah candles are lit. It's kind of a, it's kind of a 4th of July and Christmas all rolled up into one. It's a celebration of national pride and of national origin. And it's a celebration of joy and gift giving. And it's during this, this, it's called the, in verse 22, it's called the, the time of dedication. It's the Hanukkah season and Jesus is gathered there. And because of this festival, there are a lot of people and, and apparently there are some seriously notorious sinners with Jesus and the Pharisees are looking and he's even eating with them. Can't believe it. He's even eating with them. And, I, and remember that in the first century, they're leaning on each other when they eat. It's a very intimate thing. Gather around the table, leaning on your neighbor, on your left elbow, against them, eating with your right hand, feeding your friend, feeding your other friend, having, having small talk close together and across the table. It's a very connected, intimate time. And they're appalled at what he's doing. So so we can understand the audience just a bit. I want to quickly have us get to know the Pharisees. They are said to be men who loved God like Abraham and revered God like Job. Not bad. Not bad. They love God's word. They love God's law. And they even built the fence around God's law to protect it. Ever find yourself doing that? You ever build a fence around your yard to protect your children? Same idea. They were evangelists. They awaited the coming of the Messiah. And they wanted to be like God. Do you like these guys? Do you recognize these guys? Are they sometimes in your mirror? This isn't a bad set of rules or things, is it? This is a pretty good setup. So what's going wrong? Why are they condemning Jesus? What's going on with this group? Because this group was what's represented out on the road with the Father. Jesus says of them in Matthew 5, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That group, the, the group with these qualifications... And yet Jesus says your righteousness needs to exceed that. Unless your righteousness exceeds that, there's no way you're going to even enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that seem stressful? You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God no matter how good your list. Still with me? Apply the two in the same, t- same voice. Can see it. You, you would like to have that list represent you. Remember God's grace. I would like to have that, re- that represent all of us. I think it's a good list. But there's something missing. There's something going astray. <clears throat> Excuse me. Luke 18. He speaks this parable talking about the Pharisees and the rest. 
The men, the two men went up to the temple to pray. Remember this story? One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Remember, he would cover himself as he would pray and he would stand as he would pray. I don't know if this sounds weird to you, but it sounds weird in here. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. You ever compared yourself to someone in church? That's what's going on. He's standing there. He's praying. He's noticed this other guy who's also in the, in the, the service, the worship at that moment. And he sees it and goes, well, compared to him, I'm doing good. He said, look, I'm not like other people. I don't do unjust things. I don't do un- unfaithful things. I follow you well. The Apostle Paul will describe himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, a person who, as far as he could tell to the law, had it nailed until that 10th commandment got to his attention. But we'll get, on. we'll get away from that for now. Here's what the problem was. They treated sin as an external issue. They treated sin as if it were clothes or dirt or something that was only outside. Sin was not a problem for their heart, not a problem for their mind, not a problem for their inside. It was about what they were doing solely. And so if they could keep their hands out of the cookie jar, they were good with God. It didn't matter where their brain was. It didn't matter what they were wanting. It didn't matter that they wanted to get into the cookie jar. As long as they kept their hands out of the cookie jar, they were fine. They treated sin as if it were solely an external issue, nothing about their internal brokenness. Do you see why that could be a problem? Because then you can have all kinds of internal brokenness going on, and as long as you're not actively pursuing physical contact with sin, you're fine. This is why it's so revolutionary. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus starts talking about the implication of your mind and your sin, the Pharisees said, no, 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 as long as I'm not touching anything, I can look at all the pictures I want. Not good. Not true. It it can just... A picture. An addiction to pictures can destroy your relationships. Can ruin your family and ruin your life. Be very careful where you let your mind wander. Living in a fantasy in your head can destroy your relationships with real people. The Pharisees believed just the opposite. They could be anywhere they wanted in their head as long as they weren't actually physically in contact with sin. Do you see the problem? Number two, they saw it as just a bad choice. It's just a bad choice. Sin isn't a bad heart. It's a bad choice. Now, I agree, sin is a choice, but its root is a broken heart. Its root is a problem that's internal. And last, therefore, the inner struggle was unimportant. So they have this long list of good behaviors, but there's no internal connection with those behaviors. Now, obviously, that's not true for every one of them. But that was the sense of their teaching. They're standing there. They see Jesus. And Jesus, who's this guy claiming rabbinic skills and rabbinic authority, this guy who's, who people are calling the Messiah, is actually physically 
engaged with people who are notorious. What does notorious mean? Well known in a negative way, right? Notorious sinners. People who are well known to be sinners. He's not only having them gather, he's hanging out with them. He's having dinner with these guys. You see why this would be a problem for them? That's who Jesus is speaking to. That's who's out on the road this moment. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. You see, if he's doing good things, he feels like he's good. He's made it. He's in. Ever want credit for what you're doing? I always want credit for what I'm doing. I try to push that away. I try to let that be hiding in the background. I try to not even want it. But I still want it. End of the day, if I do something good, it's so hard to keep my mouth shut about it. Ever go home and report to your family what good things you did? Man, you should have seen me today. This lady came up to me. Anybody else would have slapped her right in the face. But I was kind. I was gentle. I was Christ-like. I was about to come off the ground. I was so awesome. (laughs) Lady went home and told her husband, I met this jerk at the store. You should have seen him. He stood there in front of me all pious like he was something. The Pharisees just want credit. The problem is God's not giving credit because He's already given 100%. He's not meeting out points so that you can get a free coffee after 10 points. $60 later, an awfully expensive cup of coffee, but we won't talk about that. They believe that the law would be kept by the people for if the if the law would be kept by the people for one day the messiah would come if that is your eschatology everybody's sin is your problem we have a group in adventism that's starting to teach the same kind of thing they're starting to teach that we have to get our stuff together because the last generation will be perfect before jesus comes It's the same basic theology. you got to get your stuff together. In fact, your lack of getting your stuff together may be messing it up for everybody. And now your sin is my problem because i got to fix you before I get to see Jesus. Do you see how the Pharisees could be angry about Jesus' disciples pulling a little grain as they walk through the, the, the field breaking the Sabbath? Because, man, if they could just keep it right for one stinking day... We're in. You see the problem? Poor guys. They develop a near hatred for those who are obvious sinners. And here's Jesus. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Want a little sip of what I'm having? This is good. And it becomes really easy to just use comparisons for my measurements of my righteousness. If you've not been out on the road in a long time encouraging one of the children of God to come home 
it's very easy to slip back into this. If you're not interacting with some notorious sinners, if you're not interacting with some people who are far from God, it's real easy to slip back into this. It's real easy to slip back into the whole concept of trying to mete out and measure up righteousness. That's what it looks like. That's not what it looks like. That's, that person's good. They're about ready for translation. That guy, hmm, not him. You know? But if you're out on the road, if you're out on that road begging one of God's kids to come home, It'll break your heart when you walk them through that door back there. If somebody in the church gives him the measure. You know what I mean? That up and down look. Like, and then they look at you like, why do you, what? You know he smells, right? You can smell. Your nose isn't broken, right? You know, I saw his picture in the post office, right? What are you bringing him in here for? You see, if you're not out there on the road once in a while, maybe on a regular basis, you start thinking this is the home of the saints, the people who have already made it, the people whose righteousness is so high, God's going to just take them any day. They're just going to disappear. They're going to become floating objects off and they're going to just be gone. Instead of recognizing that this is a gathering of the broken kids of God who are headed down the road toward home. Because that's really what we are. If you're not out on the road once in a while, you can be confused about what church is. If you're not rubbing shoulders with people who need God desperately, you might think you've already attained what you need. Man, then we're messed up. And the father, when he found that his oldest son wouldn't come in for the party, came out and pleaded with him. Can you imagine God pleading with you to come home? Jesus is painting a picture of who God is here. This is a picture of who God is. So imagine that this isn't just some first century dad. This is Jesus saying, this is what my father's like. This is what your father's like. And you know what I love about this? Is the grace is being extended to the Pharisee. Sometimes we just wholesale condemn the Pharisee. I do. Sometimes I just, I, I, I hear about those folks who think righteousness is a pathway through your fork and I just want to dismiss them. And here's Jesus standing out on the road with those who would judge him, all of his disciples, and all of his new friends, these notorious sinner people. He's still out on the road. He's still out on the road trying to get them to come home. There's no one we can pass by out on the road. There's no one we get to dismiss out on the road. 
Nobody, no matter which side of whatever issue you find yourself on, they're all out on the road. Kingdom kids, God's children, and he's begging for them to come home. Pleading with them. So the son answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years have I been serving you. I never transgressed one of your commandments at any time, and you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Do you see that this man thinks he's a servant, not a son? Do you see that he's measuring his right to be part of this family on his behavior? Do you see the problem? He wants to have a party. But he's not even inviting dad. He completely missed the point. And here's the father out there with bucket loads of grace for him. And he said, I don't want your grace. I have right to be there because I've done enough to be there. This is the conflict. This is what we chose the name Grace Point to push back against. This is why we say grace is the point. Because it is the only way. It is the only answer. It's the only option. There is nothing else for us if there is not grace. Without grace, we are condemned. Without grace, we are lost. And if we think there's some way to climb the ladder high enough to reach heaven, we might as well build the Tower of Babel. This is the point. And this is our Father. And He doesn't shake off the dust from His hands and His feet and go back to the house. His son was angry and would not go in, saying, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I never transgress one of your commands. And the father doesn't stop and say, oh, wait, you remember when you were seven? Remember that time I told you to go out and mend the fences on the back 30? That fence right at the corner, remember you went off and had a sandwich under an oak tree, didn't do it all day? That was a transgression of my commandments, so you don't, you're not so cool. He says... Compared to your other son, I'm amazing. And you let him come home? He doesn't serve the father because he loves him. In fact, he's a slave. He's the slave that the younger brother volunteered to be 
when he got home. He's the very thing his younger brother thought he was condemned to be. He's a slave because he thinks his father won't love him if he doesn't do everything right. This is the last thing. It is natural for the father to celebrate. It is the nature of our God to celebrate. When he tried to teach Israel about religion, he gave them celebrations. Come to Jerusalem and celebrate this, and then celebrate this, and then celebrate this. Bring your whole family, come all of you, and celebrate and worship, and celebrate and worship, and celebrate and worship. And when you open the book of Revelation, and you see that coronation room, and you see what's going on around there, all of that loud musical expression of worship, and all that's going on, it is the nature of our God to joyfully celebrate. Are you comfortable with a God who joyfully celebrates? The story is, They found the coin and they celebrated. They found the sheep and they celebrated. He brought home his son and he celebrated. He threw a party. He killed the fatted calf. And here's his brother not wanting to join the celebration. And we close the story. The father out there on the edge of the yard or driveway or dirt road, you pick it. And he says to the son, Oh, son, come in. Come in. I came out here so that you too could have life and have it more abundantly. What you're doing now isn't fun, is it? It's certainly not abundant. It's not joyful. You're struggling, man. You're tracking out there trying to do everything you can to make me love you. And I already love you. Everything I have is yours. Just come in and enjoy it. You see, a party, a party is the ultimate expression of abundance. It's it's the ultimate expression of the character of God to throw you a party. You see, when Jesus said, you got home, he said, you know, When you came home, heaven threw a party, right? And you know that when you're out there on the road bringing a friend home, heaven's going to throw another party because it's the nature of your father to throw parties. Let's do what we can to touch as many lives as we can. And point them to a relationship with that Father. And let's do what we can. In 2019, to remember that it is the nature of our God to throw parties. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
It's so hard for me to hang on to this. Thank you, Jesus, for this story being your expression of our Father. Thank you for this reminder that when one sheep is lost, you look for him. When someone is lost, doesn't even know they're lost, you go find them. And when someone is out there refusing to come home, You never stop asking. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, those who are home and those who are not, those who are here because they were forced to come here by circumstances or family or friends, somebody dragged them through the door this morning and they're just feeling uncomfortable. I pray that they will get to know you the God who celebrates them. And I pray that every one of us will fully recognize that that is our Father.